Well, we are in the third week of a series on being the church without walls, and so far we looked at a great example of that by looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. And then last week we saw how it's essential to be the church without walls, that you have to see the way Jesus sees. You have to have the vision of Christ. And so we looked at that, and part of having the vision of Christ is realizing that Jesus, when he sees the world and sees the harvest that's plentiful, he gave a prescription for that. And that prescription that he gave was for us to pray, or for the disciples to pray that the Lord would send out a harvest into his field. And then later, God answered that request in Matthew 28 when he commissioned the church to go out into the field. And so this week, we're going to talk about and look at what it means to be a church without walls by going out into our field. We're going to talk about an important subject this morning called gospel sowing, sowing the seed of the gospel. Now, there are a lot of places that we, places we could look in Scripture at that, but I really like what Psalms 126 has to say about those that sow. And uh, using that as a guideline, there's some things that I want us to see. But the reason why, I want us to see first, the reason why God did this and why he established the church to go out into the fields and sow the seed of the gospel is really uh, it boiled down to two reasons. Number one, when God looks down at the world, or, or we can even put it in, in, in our culture, and when God looks down at Walika, okay, he sees two kinds of people. And it's not black and white. It's not Democrat or Republican. It's not rich or poor. Christ, God the Father, sees only two types of people. He sees them as saved or lost. That's the way he sees them, as saved or lost. On their way to heaven to be with him or on their way to a place called hell to be separated from him. Yet, that's not what God desires. We know from Scripture that God desires for people to be saved. We know that's why Jesus was sent. The Word of God says that Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we know that God desires for people to be saved. In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter tells his readers one of the reasons why Jesus hasn't returned yet is because God is being patient, not willing that any should perish, but that, oh, did you get it? I think it's dead. Okay. She doesn't do wasps. Just saying. Okay, so, uh, so part of the reasons why Peter said it, it, to his readers in 2 Peter that God hadn't come back yet is because he's being patient. Because it's not his will for any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God, when he looks down and sees two types of people as saved and lost, his desire is for people to be saved. And so that's one reason why he sent out his workers into the field. The other reason is because it is, and this is something we need to understand, it is a tragedy when someone dies lost. It's a tragedy when someone dies separated from God. Now, I could sit here and talk a lot about a lot of different things, but maybe I can just give you some dying words or some last words from some people who died lost. Here's some last words of some people that died lost. There was an author named Voltaire who was an atheist who fought against Christianity. His exact last words were, I am abandoned by God and man, I shall go to hell. That was his last words. As a matter of fact, it says that he got so bad in his room 
that his friends and family left his bedside, and the only person that remained was his nurse. And his nurse is quoted as saying, and I quote, for all the wealth of Europe, I would never see another infidel die. Can you imagine what it was like to be in that room? There's one that said his name was uh, Charles, the ninth king of France, said, What blood and what murders and what evil counsels I have followed, I am lost. I see it well. Thomas Paine said, Stay with me, stay with me, for the God's sake, I cannot bear to be left alone. And then he died. And then Sir Francis Newport said, What argument is there now to assist me against the matters of fact? Do I assert there is no hell while I feel one in my own bosom? That there is a God I know because I continually feel the effect of his wrath. That there is a hell I am equally certain having received an earnest of my inheritance already in my own breast. What a tragedy for people to die lost. Now you want to compare that with something. Here's some last words of some who died faithful in Christ. There was a pastor named R.G. Lee who sat up in his bed at the very last minute and said this right before he died. I see heaven. Oh, I didn't do it justice. I see Jesus. I didn't do him justice and died. D.L. Moody said, earth recedes, heaven opens before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me. I must go. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. And he died. And Stephen, the first martyr of the church, in Acts chapter 7, said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing before the right hand of God. You see, it's a triumph to die saved, but it is a tragedy when someone dies lost. So that's the two reasons that really God decided to send his church into the field. He, he desires for people to be saved, and he understands even better than we do that it is a tragedy when someone dies lost. And so this morning, I want us to look at this idea of sowing the seed of the gospel because that's what God has called us to do. And we're going to do that by looking in Psalms 126, verses 5 and 6. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. Now, this text was written when the Israelites were allowed to come back to Jerusalem by King Cyrus of Persia. And it's written as an expression of their overwhelming joy. And that they wrote it out of an expression of being joyful because God had rewarded them for being faithful and they were being allowed to return home. And it talks about the seed or the result of being faithful. And so look at it with me in verses 5 and 6 and we can apply it to what it means for us to sow the seed of the gospel. It says, Though who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. And now as we examine it for a few moments this morning, I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase. And the words that be shared would be yours and not mine. And Father, that you would use them to encourage us to be the church you've called us to be, to go about sowing the seed of the gospel that you've given us to sow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in this text, there's really four things that I want us to see. It talks about sowing a seed, and, and I want us to see it as the soul winner's seed uh, of sowing of the gospel. And, and the first thing that I want us to see is if we're going to sow the seed of the gospel, we actually have to go sow a seed. We have to go. 
If you look at it in verse 6, it says, The one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed. He will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. Verse 5 says, Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. There has to be a point when we go and sow the seed. We need to remember that the lost are never commanded to come to church, but we are repeatedly told to go and bring them in. In Matthew 28, we're told of the Great Commission where we're told to go and make disciples of all the nations. In Luke chapter 14, we're told that, that, that Jesus told his servants to go out into the highways. Well, actually, he was speaking of a parable. And the Lord in the parable said to his servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that the house may be filled. God has told us to go and compel people to come in. And the only way that happens is if we go. We can shout at the top of our lungs from in this building for people to come. But we have to shout it outside the walls for them to hear it. We have to go. Years ago, uh, we were in Ardmore driving down the road. And I have told this story before, but there was a Catholic church there. And, and the, the priest of the Catholic church in Ardmore was... A very large man. I'll just leave it like that. And when I say large, large. Okay. And we drove by, and it was on a Saturday night, I think. And uh, and, and you know, Catholics they have mass on Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday morning, Sunday night. And so it was one of those evenings, Friday night or Saturday night. And we drove by, and I looked over, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw something. <clears throat> Here's this guy, and he is sitting on this bench right outside the door of the Catholic Church, and he. Like I said, he is a big man, and he's sitting there, and he sees me look, and he went. And I just kind of waved, and he went, and he was giving me all of it, and, and we turned and, and turned the corner and went on down the road, and my father-in-law says, gives a whole new definition to compel them to come in, doesn't it? I said, yeah, but at least he's trying. And I got to thinking about that. I was like, you know, we have Baptist churches that are meeting all over the place, and you don't even see them standing outside the walls when people drive by going, come on in. There's nothing wrong with that. Come on in. We'd love to have you. Come on in. But see, the, the thing is, what we have to understand is God's told us to go, and we need to go. And we need to compel them to come out, come in. Nothing will happen if we don't go. Did you realize a, a, a shameful statistic is that 95% of all American Christians will never share their faith with anyone. How can we even think we are doing what God's called us to do as the church if we're not going and sowing the gospel? It's not about, I mean, really, if you want to boil it down to just being just flat simple, if we're not doing that, then we're not the church. I mean, there's a bunch of great ministries churches do, but if we're not sowing the seed of the gospel, then we're not the church. All we are, if we're not sowing the seed of the gospel, is a parachurch organization. That's an organization that does good for the purpose of mankind. And when they get the chance, they sow the seed of the gospel. I'll give you some examples of that. The YMCA, Salvation Army, FCA. Great ministries, but they're parachurch organizations. If the church is not primarily sowing the seed, that's all the church is. And so how, we have to get to the point where we understand we have a commission to go. So the first aspect of sowing the seed of the gospel is going. 
A farmer doesn't just sit in his garage staring at the seed. He has to take the seed outside the barn and plant it. And so do we. The second aspect of that, and that kind of leads me, uh, I'll come back to that in the third one. But the second aspect of being a soul, uh, a sowing the seed of the gospel is not only do we need to go, but there's some weeping that should be involved. Look at it in verses 5 and 6. It's talked about twice. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy. This is about having a burden for people. It's about being mindful of what I said at the very beginning of the sermon, and that is that it is an absolute and utter tragedy for people to die lost. And, and, and when was the last time we had that kind of burden for lost people that it moved us to tears that they were lost? When was the last time that we poured out our heart at the altar of God over the condition of the soul of someone we love, someone we know, someone we care about. Part of being uh, sowing the seed of the gospel is having a burden to sow the seed. You know, I have no problem telling my kids about Jesus. Not, none. None. You know why? Because they mean the world to me. And I can't fathom what it would be like to have a lost child. So I tell them about Jesus. And I'll tell them about Jesus. And then I'll show them how imperfect people can still follow Jesus. Because trust me, my kids will be the first to tell you I'm not perfect. But I'll t I have no problem telling them about Jesus. Why? Because I have a burden for them to know about Jesus. But what about our other friends and our other family? What about our neighbors? He who sows in tears will shout with joy. I believe this is really important because when we're moved with a burden, or when, let me say it like this, when we have a burden, <clears throat> action soon follows. When we have a burden, action will follow. And, and that's the problem in a lot of our churches today. We just don't have a burden for them. And, and, and I don't think this is the case here, but I want to go ahead and say it. Uh, but maybe it's not even we don't have a burden. I think there are some churches that are just looking down on the lost. Like, you deserve what you get. That's, that's not what the church is supposed to be. And it should break our heart when we see the effects of sin in the lives of people. We shouldn't sit back and laugh at them or say, how you deserve that. They, they don't deserve, you don't deserve anything more other than the fact of Jesus. And, and so we need to have this burden for people. There's a story of a deacon in a, in a town back in the 1800s, and there was this blacksmith in the town, and many church members, many family members, many other deacons, and even the pastor went to see this, this blacksmith and had ministered to him and witnessed to him, and, and the, the guy was just closed to the gospel. And it didn't matter what they talked about with him, what they brought up, how much scripture evidence they gave of him or anything like that. 
He was closed to the gospel. He had no interest in the gospel. He had no desire for God, Jesus, and the church, and he made that abundantly clear. And there was this deacon in that church that become, came to be burdened for this man. And so he prayed and he prayed and he prayed for the Lord to give him the words to say that when he would go and minister and, and share the gospel with this blacksmith, that the, the, the gospel would be heard and the blacksmith would respond. And so he prayed diligently and he had other people pray for him. And so the day comes and he goes to the door of the blacksmith and the blacksmith invites him in and, and he gets ready to speak and all of a sudden he can do no talking. All he could do was weep. He, he could say no words. No words would come. All he could do was weep. Ashamed, he left the blacksmith's room feeling like an utter and total failure but the blacksmith felt different and went home and talked to his wife who was a member of that church and said I heard a new reason for trusting Christ today someone wept over my soul someone cared enough that it hurt them to see where I was at and that man got saved Listen, we need a burden for the people. If we don't have a burden, we won't go. The third aspect of our text this morning is if we're going to be gospel sowers, not only do we have to go and not only do we need a burden when we go, but we need to actually, when we go, we need to actually sow the gospel. Look at it in verse 6 again. <clears throat> it says, though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. And then verse 5, again, I'll read it. It says, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. We are told to go and sow the seed. Well, what is the seed? What is the seed? Well, the seed is the word of God. It's the gospel. And we know this because in Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells a parable about the seed, sowing the seed upon you know, the different types of soil. And then when he explains that parable to the people or to the, his disciples in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, he says this, Now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Now this tells us something. The word of God needs to be scattered around. It needs to be sowed into the hearts and into the lives of the people that we come in contact with. We must sow the seed. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> it's not our job to try to decide where we sow the seed. Our job is to sow the seed everywhere. And the reason why I know that is because in that very parable in Luke chapter 8, Jesus talks about this parable, this farmer sows the seed in four places. He, he sowed the seed by the wayward side, or that went by the wayside. There was some of the seed that fell upon stony ground. There was some seed that fell among thorns. And there was some seed that fell on good ground. But it, if you'll notice in that parable, not once is the sower told to decide which is which. He doesn't say, go and sow, don't go and sow seed among the thorny ground. He doesn't say, don't go and sow your seed among the stony ground. Don't go and sow your seed where it's going to get kicked by the wayside. 
He doesn't say where to sow it. He just says, sow it wherever you go. The difference is you don't get to decide whether or not the seed is sown in good ground or bad ground. That's between that person and God, not you. And I'll be the first to tell you, in my ministry in 20-plus years, I've sowed the seed in the lives of people that I would have swore to you was good seed, good soil. I would have swore to you it had to be good soil. I could tell by their actions. I could tell by their, what they said and the, when, the way they responded. And you're thinking, man, that, that really took root. And then it didn't take long to realize, no, that wasn't good soil. That was rocky soil. And then there were others that I sowed the seed of the gospel to at camps and different places that I would have swore to you that it had no depth whatsoever. It wasn't going to last. And to this day, that person is still walking faithfully with Jesus Christ. You know what that tells me? I'm not a real good judge of what kind of soil is that seed is going into. And I can assure you nobody else in this room either is either. And we're not told to try to decide. You know, there's sometimes we look at someone and we go, you know what, so-and-so's ministered to them. I've shared the gospel with them. They're close to it. They don't want to hear it. I'm not even going to waste my time anymore. We Listen, you, that may be the time they respond. You don't know. And it's not for you to know. But we're just told to take the seed and go spread it out wherever we go. And if it finds good soil, it's going to take root. But that's not your job to make the soil good. It's not your job. Your job is to plant the seed. And so we must go and sow the seed if we're going to be gospel sowers. Listen, the, the seed won't grow unless it's planted. Just like a seed won't grow sitting in a barrel, the gospel seed won't grow just sitting in a church. What I mean by that is, it's not going to produce the fruit that it's going to produce in the good soil that it's going to find in the world. And so we must take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then the last thing this morning about soul winning that is found in this text that we need to be about if we're going to be gospel sowers is the soul winners reaping. Both verses 5 and 6 talk about reaping. One says, reap with shouts of joy. The other one says, we'll come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. Now, I'll tell you, there's no joy I've experienced as a Christian quite like being a part of someone else's salvation experience, leading them to Christ. And not only have I experienced that, I've seen other people experience it. And if you've ever experienced leading someone to Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a thrill. It really is a thrill. The problem is, with very rare exception, I say that most of us aren't doing what we've talked about today. I would say with, that, with very rare exception, most of us are not going, most of us are not burdened, and most of us are not sowing the seed of the gospel. And you say, Brother Dwayne, what makes you say that? Because our text says if we were, there'd be a harvest. You know, I've always been amazed that, that there's, the harvest has always followed times of sowing the gospel. You ever notice that? Falls Creek, children's camp, vacation Bible school. You ever notice that those are the primary places we see students reach during the year? I wonder why that is. Did you ever stop to think? The primary times where we see fruit is in Situations where, beyond a shadow of a doubt, 
the gospel has been sowed. But if we have these gaps, then there's a really good likelihood that we're not sowing our seed. And you say, Brother Wayne, are you saying that if we go sow the seed every time someone's going to get saved? No, I didn't say that. I just said that when the seed is sowed, there's going to be a harvest at some point. And, and so that's why I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that a lot of times we're not doing these very things. There was a pastor that was sitting at the deathbed of one of his church members, and the church member said this. He said, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. I'm a believer. But I'm ashamed to die. God left me here on this earth to reach others with this gospel, and I take absolutely no one with me. I'm not afraid to die. I'm just a little ashamed of it. Because God left me here to bring others with me. And I didn't bring anyone. Listen, I, I don't want our church to be that. I don't want to be that in my own personal life. I definitely don't want that for your life, and I don't want it for our church. I want us to be a church that's a church without walls. I want us to be a church that's sowing the gospel everywhere we go. And when we do, there's going to be a harvest. Now, when that harvest comes, again, I talked about this last week, that's between them and God, but there will be one. At some point, if we're faithful in sharing and sowing the seed of the gospel, there will be a harvest that comes from it. I don't know how big the harvest will be. But I know there'll be a harvest, and I'll be excited for that harvest. You know, I got some pastor friends, and I've heard this the last few years, and they sit there, and I heard this. We gave a report a couple years back about our baptisms and our association, and the guy giving the report started out with this, uh, this statement. He said, um, we don't do well. We don't do well, or we haven't done well. And then he went on to list the salvations and the baptisms. And I thought, wait a minute. So what that there wasn't 100 salvations this year? There were 70. That's 70 people whose eternities have changed. I think we ought to be a little excited for those 70. Guys, I can't make, you can't make someone get saved. All you can do is sow the gospel. And the rest is between them and God. And when they do get saved, we need to rejoice. This morning, we got to rejoice with two people who were making their professions of faith public. We need to rejoice for those two. We need to rejoice for the others that haven't been baptized yet. We don't need to sit there and be glum over those that didn't respond, that we can be heartbroken for them, we can be burdened for them, we can continue to share the gospel with them, we can continue to do all that, but we ought to be excited for those that are saved. Because the truth of the matter is, when we take the gospel out, there's going to be a harvest. And that harvest may be one, it may be ten, maybe fifty, maybe a hundred. We don't know, but we're going to rejoice with those who are saved. That's what this text says. They go out sowing in tears, but they come back reaping in joy. Why would they go sowing in tears? Because they're burdened when they go, and they're happy when someone's saved. That's how that works. We're burdened over their soul. And then we're ecstatic when they become a Christian. Have you ever been around someone? I'll, I'll tell you with, with, with me, and I'll give you this illustration, then I'll close. Several years ago, we had um, Heaven's Gate Hell's Flames. Ivan and Nidra got to see this firsthand. My son got saved at Heaven's Gate Hell's Flames. And before that service, that night, 
the, the, the people that were in the play, which I was in that, and if you got to see, you got to see my incredible dance moves and all that wonderful stuff. Yes, I had to dance on stage, but anyway, that, I, I digress. But before that night, don't laugh. Anyway, before that drama that night, the entire, all the characters were back there, and we did this every night. We prayed over that and prayed over the characters and over the story and over the gospel presentation. But that particular night, we were told to take this card and write out a specific prayer need that we had. And I wrote out a prayer need. And I put it in the pile and immediately felt this overwhelming conviction that I needed to change my request. So I went and found my card and I took a pencil and I marked it out and I changed my request and I put it back in the pile. And then we passed those out individually to different people and we all prayed over one of those cards. And then that night during the invitation time, my son came forward during the invitation time. And I didn't think anybody had come forward. I, I, I looked out from our church. I didn't see anybody. So I actually left, went around the back and come in the back of the auditorium at Henrietta. And when I came in, I could see Ivan and Nidra standing there in the aisle, standing in the aisle. And they were looking at the counselors. And I knew then someone was looking for me. And I don't know what caused them to turn and see me, but they turned and saw me at the back, and it was like parting of the Red Sea, and there was my son, and he just hightailed it right to me. And he just grabbed me, and he's weeping, and he's crying, I want to be saved, I want to be saved. I took him outside, and I led him to Christ outside of Henrietta High School. You want to know what my prayer request changed from and changed to? It changed from the gospel being sowed to my son being saved. And I was burdened for my son that night. But you better believe I rejoiced when he got saved. We sow in tears with a burden. And then we reap with joy when they're saved. 